Greetings and welcome to an Odyssey into Oratory. I'm your host, Dan Riley. The famed Spanish novelist Miguel de Cervantes wrote one of the top fiction books of all time, Don Quixote. It was a two-part novel written ten years apart. So popular has the book been, there is only one other book in history that has been translated more often, and that's the Bible. The story is about Alonso Quixano, who becomes so steeped in medieval romances, he loses his mind and decides he is going to become a knight-errant. He is determined to revive the nobility and chivalry of a bygone age. He recruits a simple farmer, Sancho Panza, as his squire, adopts the name Don Quixote, and off they go, a knight and his squire, to not only serve their city of La Mancha, but the nation as well. Don Quixote does not process the world as it is, but as he would have it be. He is a medieval knight. He perceives even the most mundane experiences as something requiring a chivalrous adventure. When Sancho sees windmills in the distance, Don Quixote must battle them because he sees ferocious giants. Once the giants are defeated, he will be able to collect the spoils and revel in his glory as a knight. Back when I was a young man, there was an exceedingly popular musical play, The Man of La Mancha, which was loosely adopted on Cervantes' book. The most popular song from that musical score was The Impossible Dream. At the time, I was a huge football fan and would watch every game I could on television. Back then, all pro football games were played on Sundays. And on every Sunday morning, the football broadcasts began with that song playing The Impossible Dream to the highlights of the greatest plays of the season. For example, when hearing the line to try when your arms are too weary, you would see a corresponding play where a quarterback is completing a spectacular touchdown pass. Those two plus minutes of television were the highlight of my football week. Something about that song, coupled with the breathtaking athleticism being displayed, inspired me. It inspired me then, and it still inspires me today. Every one of us has experiences akin to this. As speakers, we need to capture them. By doing so, we will have a treasure trove of our own rhetorical devices. If storytelling is a speaker's hammer, rhetorical devices are the nails. Why borrow from others what one has an abundance of? Let me suggest a method for capture. Purchase a journal-like book. By each individual's standards, it should be classy, durable, and the color pleasing. Cost should be of no concern other than it should not be cheap. This book will prove to be something of extraordinary value over time. You want no symbols of contradiction. One of the greatest speakers of the previous generation, Jim Rohn, showed a class of young kids an empty leather-bound book he paid $26 for. One of the kids asked, why would you pay that money for an empty book? Jim said, the reason I pay $26 is to challenge myself to find something worth $26 to put in there. Emerson wrote, those facts, words, persons which dwell in his memory without his being able to say why remain because they have a relation to him, not less real for being as yet unapprehended. Once we begin collecting all that dwell in our memory without us being able to say why, we can begin to apprehend what was once elusive. 
It doesn't need to be a perfectly organized book. This will be a continuing work in progress. The book should be as creative and unique as one would have it be. A good place to start is song lyrics. List all the songs listened to repeatedly over a series of years and or decades. Write the entire song or those lyrics of particular interest. List all poems and or specific verses from poems that are repeatedly read. Keep a continuing list of favorite words and phrases, not process words, but nouns, verbs, adjectives, and adverbs. An example from my own book is a phrase I heard decades ago in some old movie, Babylonian Jezebel. I have hundreds of such examples. Favorite movies and plays and the scenes within them, elements of dialogue that linger in memory long after the production's popularity had faded. Bible phrases which are routinely quoted or read. Same with psalms and prayers. Hymns remembered from youth. All quotations used personally. All quotations transcribed from their original source. Text highlighted or somehow flagged in books. Favorite phrases from favorite speeches. A list of perceived attributes of a person briefly met but lingering in consciousness long after they should have been forgotten. I will stop there. I trust the concept is clear. We are trying to capture everything that moves and inspires us or just makes us wonder. Once enough data is collected, one can begin to play and work with it. Compose sonnets or poems using no more than one line from the different songs that were collected. Take 10 favorite adjective noun combinations and swap them around. Use biblical adjectives to modify movie nouns. Each person is drawn to their own words, phrases, and concepts, which can serve as a roadmap to something of greater value inside of them, which has not yet been discovered. A bit more from Emerson on the topic. A few anecdotes, a few traits of character, manners, face, a few incidents have an emphasis in your memory out of all proportion to their apparent significance if you measure them by ordinary standards. They relate to your gift. Let them have their weight and do not reject them. What your heart thinks great is great. The soul's emphasis is always right. One should not attempt to gather all this information in a day or even a weekend. It should be a gradual, non-sequential process. At some point, the individual will reach their here and now. Then it's just a matter of maintaining this sacred collection. In this collection, one has a gold mine of metaphors, soaring rhetoric, and visual imagery, along with other linguistic devices. Because these words, phrases, and concepts have had an emphasis in an individual's consciousness out of all proportion to their apparent significance, they wield incredible rhetorical power, a power not afforded to the speaker acquiring a quotation from a Google search. Much more can be done with this personal goldmine of data, a subject for another podcast. When Mark Twain used maritime language, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sail, the words ring true. They have an added power because he spent a good part of his life on the high seas. He owns those words and concepts. The high seas are inseparable from him. Same with Dr. Martin Luther King when he used biblical phrasing, until justice rolls down like water and righteousness, like a mighty stream, seared in the flames of withering injustice. 
Every mountain and hill will be made low. He would have never had made the impact he did using that language unless it was true to him. And of course it was. He was a minister by training. We all have phrasing native to our constitutions. By consulting our own collection of precious words, we are accessing a unique library where nothing is inauthentic. If a famous quote by J.K. Rowling or Jordan Peterson belongs to a speaker, there will be no need to search the internet. It will be in their sacred collection. With that, our journey for today has ended. This is Dan Riley taking you on this glorious quest, an odyssey into oratory. Until next time, throw off those bowlines. We're on the move now. <laughs>